Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah, that's back there where the pages are all stuck together. This is the mighty Holy Ghost and His gifts, part 10. Can you believe 10 weeks we've been teaching on the mighty Holy Ghost? And we will never exhaust it, amen? And today we're going to talk about a pure or unfeigned language called tongues and in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9 it says for then I will restore to the peoples or nations of the world a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord or one consent in other words unity consentment they consent to this Unity, they consent to this accord. And the phrase pure language is translated from two Hebrew words, barar safah, that don't mean anything to you, but I'm going to tell you what it's translated to. It means cleansed or purged. And in this case, it's talking about unclean lips or speech. It's talking about unclean lips being cleansed or purge. In other words, God will make all people fit to serve Him. How I many knows not everybody's fit to serve Him? You got to get born again first, right? And then He'll make you fit to serve Him. You remember Isaiah's vision? We talked about it Wednesday night, a couple Wednesdays ago. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, when the Bible says that in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. In other words, he was ushered into the presence of the Lord. It was a, uh, the spirit of discernment or, the, or a discerning spirit allowed him to get a peek into the spiritual realm and see God sitting on his throne high and lifted up with all the seraphim or the angels surrounding him crying, holy, holy, holy. So Isaiah realized he was in an atmosphere of holiness. He was in the presence of the Lord in an atmosphere of holiness. And how many knows when you get into the presence of the Lord and you feel his goodness and you feel his holiness, it makes you feel ashamed. It makes you feel unfit. And a matter of fact, Isaiah said in uh, Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm unfit. I'm doomed. In other words, I'm dead meat. That's the way he felt in the presence of this holiness, in the presence of the Lord. He says, because I am a sinful man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And what it's actually talking about is an impure and corrupt language. He dwells in the midst. He has an impure and corrupt language. And he dwells in the midst of a people who have a corrupt and impure language. And then he says, 
for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So you can imagine how he felt. He says, woe is me. Why? Because he was uh, sitting there in his sinful nature, knowing he's unfit, knowing that he has an, a corrupt speech or corrupt mouth, and he's living amongst people that are the same as him. And now he's in the presence of a holy, holy God. So then it says in verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, your sin is taken away and your sin purged. And this is a type or a picture of salvation. So when his mouth was touched, he was saved in type and it made his lips clean. He no longer had corrupt language, unclean lips. And so in order to make Isaiah fit to serve and worship him, the first thing that God had to do to change Isaiah's life was to change his tongue, to change his speech, to purge his lips of corrupt and impure speech. So the prophet Zephaniah spoke here of a restoration to a pure language so that all nations will be able to call or pray to the Lord and serve him with one accord or one consent or in unity. So let's fast forward now some 800 years and we have a similar incident in an upper room where 120 disciples were gathered on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Every one of them that was in that upper room, all 120 of them had a flame sitting on top of their head. And it, uh, it sounds to me like a purifying is about to take place because a lot of times when you see fire, it usually represents a purifying or a cleansing from something. Uh, sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's fire. Sometimes it's the word. These are all cleansing powers. And in verse 4, it says, And they were all filled... Every one of them, all 120, with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the Spirit didn't speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance and they lend, lended their vocal cords and their mouth, their tongue to the Holy Spirit or to that utterance. And they spoke in other tongues. So uh, the prophet Zephaniah said that God would restore a pure language, a new language. And on that day of Pentecost in that upper room where the 120 were all baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. In other words, they spoke with a new language, a new language. And Zephaniah said he would, God said he would restore a pure language. So that tells us that a pure language must have existed at one time. And the reason I say that is because if it didn't exist at one time, God would have said that he would create a pure language. 
But he said he would restore a pure language. So it, that tells us there was a pure language spoken in the earth at one time. But what was that pure language? I mean, since every earthly language that we know contains some type of profanity and negativity in one form or another, there is not a pure language on the earth anywhere. No pure language on the earth. So in order to restore to a pure language, it would have to come from heaven. Amen? Is this too much for you? I could find something to read or something. <laughs> it had to come from heaven because it wasn't nowhere on the earth. So, but what was that pure language? I wonder if it could have been the same language that was spoken in the Garden of Eden between God and his creation, Adam. I wonder if it's the same language that was spoken between Adam and Eve that they taught their children and their children taught their children. I wonder if that was the same language, a pure language, an unfeigned language that hadn't been corrupted yet. Uh, I know one thing for sure, 100% sure that it was one language and it was a pure language, whatever it was that they spoke. And I'm sure it was a heavenly language because God taught the language to them. And another reason I feel it had to come from heaven is because, like I said, there was no language on the earth of any kind at that time. No language. All it was was his creation, Adam and Eve. There was nobody else on the earth. Nobody talking, nobody saying anything until God came down, breathed life into his creation, and then taught him everything he knew. And of everything that... He created, he said it was good and very good. But one thing he said what it is, it is not good that man should be alone. So he causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. He takes one of his ribs and he creates woman, a helpmate for Adam. And so she's Adam's responsibility now. So he had to teach her how to talk. He had to teach her this language. I mean, she was... She was born, if you will, a full-grown adult. It's not like a little baby comes up, goo-goo-ga-ga, and learns how to talk. This is a full-grown woman. He had to teach her the language that God taught him. So they're speaking one language and one speech. And now if you go to Genesis, the 11th chapter, Genesis 11, starting with the first verse, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. One language, one speech. And that's amazing when you consider that according to Ethnologue, the most authoritative resource and comprehensive list of world languages that there is today, it tells us that there are over 7,000 distinct languages or dialects in the earth today. 7,000, that blew me away. Because I'm thinking, I wonder how many languages in the earth. And I'm thinking maybe a couple hundred. And then I looked it up on the internet. And this organization here, Eth Ethnolog, Ethno for uh, race, uh, log for keeping records. Uh, the most authoritative resource on it says there's over 7,000. I couldn't believe that. 7,000 languages. I can hardly speak English. But the Bible tells us right here in Genesis 11:1 that 
at that time, there was only one language and one speech in the whole earth. See how it's grown from that? And then in verse 2, it says, Genesis eleven two says, And it came to pass as they, the descendants of Noah, this is after the flood, journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to now, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now I want you to notice there's no mention of God in this. Let us, let us, me, myself, and I, the, the evil trinity. And verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now, I mean, the Lord knew what was going on, but for him to come down here and look at it, he must have been impressed with it. He must have marveled at the fact that these men and women, these people uh, that spoke one language and one speech, were able to come together in one accord, in unity, in one consent, and build this city with a tower that they said would reach the heavens. So then, in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, or in one accord, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now, they imagined they would build a tower to reach heaven. And God is telling us here that they could have did it. He said, as long as you're in unity and one accord, one language, one speech, you could accomplish anything that you can imagine. So I, I can see now why the Lord came down. And then he says in verse 7, go to, or they said, go to, let us go down and there confound their language. The Lord said this. Let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And they left off to build the city. In other words, they had to quit building the city. They could no longer communicate. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did confound their language there. Of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So the earth, the whole earth, was of one language and one speech, but now that's gone. Now there's many languages and many speeches, and they couldn't communicate with one another, so they went their separate ways. But what was that language? Is it possible it was the same language that was spoken in the garden between God and Adam and Adam and Eve? and their children, and their descendants. Could it have been the same language? Up until this point, he says that there was only one language and one speech on the earth. So it had to be the same language that he taught his creation, Adam and Eve. So is it possible it was the same language that came from heaven? Is it possible that this is the language that Zephaniah said that God would restore someday? So let's, let's go back and continue reading in the book of Acts, but this time let's look at chapter 1 and verse 5. We were in chapter 2. Let's go back to chapter 1. 
In verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, so that tells me every nation under heaven, so there was a representative there from every nation in the, in the earth. Every corner of the, of the world had a representative there in Jerusalem that day on the day of Pentecost. And when this sound occurred, what sound? The rushing mighty wind. When this sound occurred, I don't know, maybe it broke the sound barrier. Maybe it was a big explosion, a loud bang. But it was loud enough for the multitude to hear it. And so when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Why? Because everyone heard them speak in their own language. In other words, they heard everyone speak in their own dialect. They're speaking one language, one speech, yet everybody heard them in their own dialect. There's a miracle right there, isn't it? Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? In other words, everybody that was speaking was speaking Galilean. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? They're speaking one language, Galilean, and yet everybody hears in their own language. Verse 9 says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia and a whole bunch of other places that I'll probably mess up the pronunciation of. So let's just go to verse 11. It says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful wor uh, words of God. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then verse 13 says, others were mocking and said, they're full of new wine. In other words, they're drunk. That's how, the only way we can make sense of this, they must be drunk. So one of the first things we need to recognize about speaking in tongues is that it is a language. It is a language. It is a dialect from heaven. And when you speak in tongues, you are speaking a language. It is not babble. It is not mumbling. It is not meaningless. It is a language that came from heaven. Now, here's a misunderstanding that most people think about speaking in tongues. Uh, people seem to think that you start speaking it fluent, fluently when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. But you don't speak any English fluent or any language, including English fluently when you first start to learn it. Is there any bilinguals in there? Anybody speak more than one language? I'll be darned. Well, if, <laughs> if there was somebody here who spoke two languages, I was going to ask you if you started speaking fluently the first day you started to study it. Of course not. You start out with little words and you keep on practicing and studying and eventually you become proficient in it and uh, you, that, that will make you bilingual like I said I have a hard time speaking English so I'm definitely not bilingual but I know one thing I didn't learn it overnight and I'm still learning it but they believe that those in the upper room must have all spoke fluently on the day of Pentecost because Everyone understood them in their own language. So if you're a Galilean, 
and you were speaking in tongues, they heard you in their own language. And uh, that's, that's where the miracle took place. It's not a miracle that they spoke in tongues. It's a miracle that the people understood them in their own dialect. But I noticed that it doesn't say they all spoke fluently in their own language. It says the people all heard fluently in their own language. See, some people believe the disciples all spoke fluently in all those different languages and dialects that day. And that's why everybody heard in their own language. But if you have 120 people speaking 120 different languages, all the, all the nations of the world were there. Every representative from every nation was there. So there's 7,000 today, today. So there had to be at least 120 different languages there, maybe even more. And they all heard them fluently. Well, if they're all speaking a different language, all you're going to hear is a bunch of babble. Nobody's going to understand anything. Nobody's going to say, oh, wait a minute, I think I hear my language being spoken over here and run over there to listen to somebody over here. No, it would have been confusion and utter babble coming from 120 people all talking at the same time. So what was the miracle? They were all speaking in tongues, a heavenly language that came from heaven through the rushing mighty wind, which was the Holy Ghost. When they got filled in the upper room, they're speaking in tongues. The people are hearing in their own language. It is being translated in their ears in their own language. But they were all speaking in tongues, one language, one speech from heaven. Are you with me? All right, hang on a little longer. <laughs> so that's the, that's the miracle, the translation in the ears. Um, think about a pure language like in the beginning between Adam and Eve, between God and Adam, then Adam and Eve, and then everyone else, up to the day that God came down and confused that pure language at Babel. He said, that's the end of a pure language because you're going to use it for evil. You're in unity. You're in one accord. You've come together in one consent. You're all in agreement. You can accomplish everything that you want or you can imagine. But here you are imagining evil. Trying to be like me. Wanting to reach heaven, my dwelling place, where you don't belong. So I'm going to have to confound your language to keep you from accomplishing that. And so he confounds their language. Uh, the name of the city becomes Babel. The tower becomes Babel. It never got completed. And now there's all these different languages in the earth. I don't know how many. Just estimating. There's 7,000, over 7,000 today. So there had to be a whole bunch back then even. And now we're, you know, like 800 years or so into the future. There's even more languages. But everyone heard in their own language. What a mighty miracle, right? Hallelujah. I guess you could say it would be like the gifts of tongues and interpretation. Somebody gave a tongue, the Holy Ghost gave the interpretation in their ears. And that what happens when we have tongues and interpretation? But think about a pure language like this up to the day that God confused them. A heavenly language that spoke the thoughts, purposes and intents of your heart. That's what tongues does, and I'm going to prove it to you here in a minute. Uh, you're not speaking out of your mind. You're speaking out of your spirit or your heart. And you're speaking the thoughts, intents, and purposes of your heart. 
and your heart or your spirit is connected with God's spirit if you're born again. So out of your heart, you're speaking right things. Amen? So right now, you can speak your mind, and it could be totally different than what you have in your heart. And I know everybody in here at one time or another, if you didn't, then you're a saint, and I commend you for it. But everybody in here at one time or another said something that hurt somebody else and then regretted saying it. I know I did. Y'all don't have to admit it if you don't want to. But I know I did. And I regretted it, and I wished I could take it back. But how many knows that words are like arrows once you release them? They're going to hit their intended target. And you could apologize and say you're sorry, but they're still sitting there with an arrow in them. So sorry don't help them much. But if you look to your heart first, you would have spoke what was from your heart. You wouldn't have hurt anybody. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Or you may have looked to your heart in your moment of anger and decided not to say anything at all. Amen? How many knows when you speak your mind, you're going to speak things that you'll regret? Because your mind, I'm just going to say it, your mind is stupid. And it's attached to something even more stupid, and that's your flesh. So if you're speaking what's coming out of your flesh in your mind, it's going to be something that you'll regret saying later. So search your heart before you say anything. Speak from your heart. Speak from your spirit. But anyway, when you speak in tongues, the pure language that came down from heaven, it conveys what's in your heart. It conveys within your spirit and your mind has nothing to do with it. That's one thing that bypasses your mind and saves you a whole lot of trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. The great apostle Paul said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue. In other words, Paul said if, so it must be a choice. If it wasn't a choice, he wouldn't say if. So you choose to speak in tongues. You choose to pray. You choose to read the word. You choose to walk in love. These are all things that we have choices. God gave us choices. He gave us a free will. And Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, uh, now watch this. He says, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So he doesn't understand it in his mind but he's praying in the spirit by choice. Then he says in verse 15, what is it then? In other words, what is the conclusion to what I just said? He says, I will pray with the spirit. That's talking about praying in tongues. And I will pray with the understanding also. In other words, with my mind and the understanding I have in my own language. But how many knows that's limited? Your knowledge and understanding of things is limited. But the knowledge and understanding of the Holy Ghost is unlimited. He knows everything. And he's dwelling in your spirit. And he says, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding. So the conclusion Paul came to was if I pray, I will pray with the spirit. I will pray in tongues. 
and I will pray in my understanding. That would be his mind. And he'll sing with the spirit and he'll sing with his understanding. So he's saying do both. But remember this, your understanding is limited. And so it's really clear to me, and I hope it is to you, that Paul is speaking about two different languages here. Tongues from heaven and your own native dialogue. In this case, in this room, it's <laughs> everybody speaks English. Nothing else, just English in this room. <laughs> so he's saying one I, one I don't understand and one I do understand. I don't understand my tongues, but I do understand what comes out of my mind. That's his native tongue, in this case, probably Hebrew. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, in the Amplified Classic Edition, it says, Paul's saying, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays. Your spirit is praying with the help of the Holy Spirit. But my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Remember he said he'd rather you speak five words in an understood language than 10,000 words in tongues. Why? Because it doesn't edify anybody. It doesn't build anybody up or encourage anybody or anything like that because they don't understand it. So he's saying my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. So when I'm praying in tongues, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. So your spirit is praying, but is, but is being helped by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. So he's helping you pray. How many knows that the Holy Ghost knows how to pray? And he's helping you. He not only knows how to pray, he knows exactly what to pray. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses or infirmities, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, our natural mind, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that, uh, another translation says, which cannot be uttered uh, with the implying in an articulate or an understandable tongue. So, praying in the Holy Ghost or praying in tongues is the groanings which can't be uttered in an articulate speech or an articulate tongue. So, when I don't know what to pray, I can start praying in tongues. And when I do, the Bible says that my spirit is praying by the Holy Ghost within me. I'm the one doing the praying, but the Holy Ghost is guiding me, and he's praying within me. And why is that valuable? Because he knows the perfect will of God for the situation that you're praying about. You may not even know it, but praying in tongues by faith gives him the ability to pray through your spirit to God, the perfect will of God. So let's read verse 27 now in the Amplified again. And he, God, who searches the hearts of men, God searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is, because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God 
in behalf of the saints according to and in harmony with God's will. He prays the perfect will of God through you. You can't go wrong with a prayer like that. You know you're praying right because the Holy Ghost is praying through you. So wouldn't you want to pray the will of God every time you pray? I know we have selfish prayer sometimes. And we pray for things that might not be the will of God. But when I pray a situation that I'm not sure if it's the will of God or not. Now if I can find it in the word, the word is God's will. Then I know I'm praying God's will. But there's gray areas sometimes. You don't know if it's God's will that you're praying for an individual. And so... The best prayer you can pray is in tongues and, and then in that prayer by saying that I pray the f- perfect will of God in this situation. Uh, even if it's what I don't agree with or something I don't agree with, I want his will be done. Not my will, his will be done. Because that's the best prayer that you can pray for somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. So how many people pray prayers out of their mind with its limited understanding? Everybody does. We pray the best we can, but we have a limited understanding. So if you're only praying in your understanding, then you're going to come up short every time because your mind doesn't understand everything that you need to understand in order to pray effectively. So think about the value of praying in tongues. Of all the needs that people have, like on the day of Pentecost, those 120 in the upper room, every one of them had needs. Everyone in this room has needs. Every one of us needs something. And every one of us needs something from God. Uh, I mean, physical and emotional needs. They need healing, they needed miracles, they needed broken hearts healed, they needed relationships restored, just like in this room. Yet in spite of all of that, the first thing that the Holy Ghost did when he filled them all with the Spirit of God and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, the first thing he did was change their tongue. Out of all those needs, the first thing he did was change their language. Change their tongue. Change their speech. Why? Because that is the one thing that will get all of your needs met when you start speaking right things. In other words, the Holy Ghost is saying, instead of me fixing all your problems, I'll just fix the one thing that's causing all your problems. Amen. I don't make somebody mad now, but I got to preach the truth. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that's causing all your problems. And uh, Proverbs tells us life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death. You can speak life or you can speak death. Jesus said we will have what we say. James said it's our tongue that changes the direction of our life. Didn't he? I mean, He said, just like a horse, a bridle in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a big ship changes its direction or changes its course, so will the tongue change your direction and change your course. The Holy Ghost fixed the problem by giving you a new language. 
James said, no man can tame the tongue, but the Holy Ghost can if you let him. I'll give you an example of that. There's times when there's things I want to say. Sometimes I say them. Sometimes I let my stupid head get the best of me. And I go by way of the stupid flesh and I say things I shouldn't say. I ain't perfected yet. Are you? <laughs> but as I mature in the things of God and get more spiritually more mature, when I come to these episodes in my life, the Holy Ghost prompts me to pray in tongues. So instead of saying something nasty or stupid or mean, I start praying in the Holy Ghost. Sometimes out loud, sometimes under my breath. Depends on where I'm at. And I'm telling you, I forget all about that stupid thing I was about to say. It tamed my tongue. Amen. So one of the things that hinders people from yielding to the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues is because they think that it doesn't make sense. The words that are coming to their mind sounds silly. You know, like that movie with Jackie Chan and that other cop, and he says, can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And he says, no, I can't understand nothing coming out of your mouth. <laughs> That's the way you feel about tongues. Amen? So you speak tongues in faith, believing that it's going to accomplish what the Bible says it will accomplish. Paul said, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Why? Because they don't understand. But to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, it might be a mystery to you. And it might be a mystery to somebody that's hearing it. But God knows exactly what you're saying. Because you're, you're, you're praying or speaking in tongues. And it's. The Holy Ghost praying with your spirit or in your spirit or assisting your spirit. And he's praying mysteries to you, but it's the perfect will of God that he's praying. And so by faith, I know that's happening. I may not understand it because I'm speaking in a, a, a pure language, a, a language that I don't understand. But by faith, I know that it's praying the perfect will of God. And that faith will get somebody healed, somebody delivered. Somebody out of a jam. It will help you. It will help your wife, your children, your family. It's a mystery to you, but God understands every word. And if we'll swallow our pride, we can pray in a heavenly language from day one. It took me six months, but it doesn't have to take you that long. I had some bad teaching. I didn't understand it. Took me six, uh, it took me one minute to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Took me six months to realize it. Six months before I spoke in other tongues. It doesn't have to be that way if you get the right teaching, like you're getting today. <laughs> but it's not going to be fluent from the first day but as you continue to pray every day it will develop into a language that will flow from you amen. amen and when you speak in tongues remember you're speaking to god however in the spirit you speak mysteries you speak in a tongue in the spirit so speaking in tongues is praying in the spirit there are millions of people that are severely handicapped in prayer because they only pray 
with their limited understanding, and they only pray out of their mind. I'm not saying your prayers aren't effective. I'm saying they're not as effective as they could be. So what's the benefit of praying in tongues over my mind? Well, it's possible that maybe, just maybe, the Spirit has more understanding about the situation or the circumstance than you do. You think that's possible? Maybe he has more understanding about the thing you're praying about or trying to pray about with your natural mind. I'm just saying he might just be a little more smart than you. Do you think the great apostle Paul, with all his responsibilities, prayed in tongues often? He said himself in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. More than y'all. It says ye all. He was from the south. And he also said not to forbid anybody from speaking in tongues. That was a commandment. That wasn't a suggestion. He said, don't you ever forbid somebody from speaking in tongues. And yet there's churches all over this country, all over the world, where pastors stand up in the pulpit and tell you tongues is of the devil. Don't you speak in tongues. Paul said, don't forbid anybody from speaking in tongues. And I believe that we should all be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the experience of, of speaking in tongues. I know they say with the physical evidence of speaking in tongues, but I don't like that connotation. I was listening to one preacher. He said that that opens the door to you thinking that you can judge speaking in tongues because if it's an evidence, you can judge it. So he says, I like to call it experience, and I agree with him. I don't want to say evidence because that gives you the impression that you can judge it and you can't. And so I say experience. Every one of us should be filled with the experience of speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than y'all. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And then he describes to us what that armor is. He says, having your loins girt about with truth the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. The whole armor of God, he said. But did you know praying in the Spirit is part of that armor? In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? In the Spirit. So if you got all that armor on and you're not praying in the spirit, then you are not adorned with the whole armor of God. You got a, you got a bunch of it on and it's going to help you tremendously, but you don't have it all on. Amen. So why is it a part of the armor? Because praying in the spirit builds us up and strengthens us. Jude said in 120, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, or praying in the Spirit, or praying in tongues. It builds you up. It strengthens you. So is it possible that we might be losing some spiritual battles because we haven't built ourselves up? 
Is it possible we're not getting all our prayers answered because we haven't been praying God's perfect will like we should? Is it possible that our flesh has been getting away with some things? <laughs> Stupid flesh. It's getting away with things it shouldn't because our spirit isn't as strong and built up as our flesh is. That's the problem with a lot of Christians. Their flesh is enormous. Enormously, I'm not talking about big, I'm talking about enormously strong. And unfortunately stronger than your spirit. And when, a, you know, Paul said that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. They're contrary. They never agree in anything. And so if your flesh is stronger than your spirit and your spirit's telling you what to do that's right, and your flesh says no, your flesh is going to win. Unless you take it to a renewed mind. If your mind is renewed on the word of God, then you take that confrontation of the flesh and the spirit, take it to the renewed mind, and the mind will side with the spirit, and the spirit will overcome the flesh. But if your mind isn't renewed and you're carnally minded, then your mind will say, yeah, flesh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And it will side with the flesh and your spirit will lose out. So is it important to build your spirit up? At least make it stronger than your flesh? Amen. I agree. Praying in the spirit or praying in tongues, it builds us up. It edifies us. That's what builds us up means. It's like charging a battery. I know these electric cars are getting real big now. I was talking to Shane. He's got an electric Tesla, and he said he gets 300-something miles to a charge. That's pretty good. That's about what I get with a tank of gas. But his charge costs him $4. My tank of gas cost me 45 So it's a good deal. But what if he tried to go 500 miles without a charge? He wouldn't make it. Why do you think you can make it without being charged on a regular basis? There's other things that build you up and charge you. Uh, reading the word, praying, that'll build you up, that'll charge you. But don't think you can go a thousand miles with a 300-mile charge. Amen? How do you charge it? Praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit. So if that car goes dead, you've got to charge it for a couple hours to get it back up to speed or back up to full strength. You're the same way. You are pouring out all the time. You're, you, you get drained. If you don't recharge, you're going to be on the side of the road. Amen. Uh, we run down just like a battery. So we have to constantly pray in the Spirit to build ourselves back up. Trust me, you don't want the devil to find you on the side of the road with a dead battery. If he does, he's going to clean your clock and take your lunch money. Well, I spent about 45 minutes trying to talk you into tongues, trying to convince you that tongues is a language that came from heaven. It's God's will for us to be filled with the Spirit, and it's God's will for us to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives us utterance. He wants us to experience that. And then he wants us to use it on a daily and regular basis. It's a real language, but like Paul said, it's a choice. You have to choose to want this. You have to choose to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. You have to choose to walk in a position where 
when you get run down, you can build yourself back up again. And that's by praying in tongues. And it's a, it, it is a, um, a choice. And it's something that you have to desire because God's a perfect gentleman. We talked about the Holy Ghost for the last 10 weeks. And we talked about the nine gifts of the Spirit extensively. I think we did two sessions on that. And we learned that you have to desire spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul said, desire the best gifts. Which is the best gift? The one you need at the time that you need it. Amen. Whatever that is, that makes it the best gift. If you need a miracle, it's the best gift. If you need healing, it's the best gift. So uh, he says to, to desire them. What happens if you don't desire them? You don't have them. He's not going to shove them down your throat. He's not going to force you. He's a perfect gentleman. So I'm going to tell you how to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I know most of us in here are. Most of us, if you don't speak in tongues now, you have at one time. And for some reason you quit doing it. You lost your faith in it or whatever. But I want to encourage you today that you can speak in tongues every day. And if you have an understanding of it, like I tried to portray today, you should develop a desire for it. Because, like I said, it's a real language. It comes from heaven. It is the restoration of the language, the pure language that Zephaniah talked about. It was restored on the day of Pentecost in that upper room to the 120 who went out and spread it from there. And now there's millions in the world that speak in other tongues. It's called glossolalia. And the word gloss, come, we get our word glossary, and it, is, it, it talks about it being a dialect, uh, or I forget the Greek word, but even if I remembered it, it would be Greek to you. So it, it boils down to it being a dialect. And a dialect and a glossary is a language. It's a language. Amen. Amen. But let me, uh, another thing is there's no tearing. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Go to Jerusalem and tarry. They're the only ones that ever had to tarry. Since the Holy Ghost came to the earth as a rushing mighty wind and began indwelling God's people, there's no more tarrying. I thought I had to tarry. I tarried for six months. And I just wasted six months. And so I'm trying to uh, convince you that there's no tarrying. And here's a scripture that set me free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. In Luke 11:10 through 13, it said, Now I, I had everybody and their brother pray for me to get the Holy Ghost. And hindsight is 2020, but at the time I didn't realize that I got the Holy Ghost the first time I was prayed for. But I didn't recognize it. And uh, then one night, I'm uh, on my bedroom floor crying. I told you this story before. I'm crying and wondering what's wrong with me, why God won't fill me with his spirit. There must be something wrong with me. I must have an evil spirit. Uh, otherwise, God would fill me with his spirit. And then God brought this scripture to my remembrance. And I remembered some of it. So I got my Bible and looked at the rest of it. It said, for it, this is Jesus talking, for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be open. And then here's the part that got me. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, 
Will you give him a stone? No, if my son asks me for food, that's what it represents here. I'm not going to give him a stone. I'm going to give him some food, what he asked for. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, again, this is all for food, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, we know from uh, just before Jesus descended, he told us we had authority and we speak with other tongues and we'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And he says, you will handle serpents and scorpions. He's talking about evil spirits. So in other words, if you ask me for a good thing as a father, am I going to give you an evil spirit? Absolutely not. So he said, if you then being evil, a fleshly father, an earthly father, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He didn't say, how, how much more will your heavenly father give a gift to you? or an egg, or a fish, or a piece of bread, or anything else. He, he, that's what he was talking about. But here he says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him that asks? And then I got this revelation. I asked for the Holy Spirit. And then I realized, I got it. I asked, he gave. And I began to speak in tongues right there. Pretty fluently, too. Most, most of the times you'll start out sha-na-na or goo-goo-ga, just like a baby. But since I waited six months, God rewarded me. <laughs> God felt sorry for me. He gave me a few extra words. But I just kept praying with those few words that I had. And then all of a sudden I had another word. And then another word. And then a sentence. And then a paragraph. And then I started speaking fluently. Have been ever since. That was 1984, something like that, 84, 85. Been speaking ever since. So I'm not going to call anybody up here. I'm not going to embarrass you, although you shouldn't be embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed. I wouldn't be embarrassed. We should never be embarrassed desiring something from God. But I'm not going to call anybody up here because that was one of the mistakes they did with me. They made a spectacle out of me and... My pride rose up, and I just couldn't believe that I received the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, a simple prayer. And then if you feel an utterance and you want to speak in tongues today, you go right ahead. If you don't, no problem. You might speak in tongues tomorrow or the next day or a month from now or six months from now. But I want you to understand, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give him to you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And he's going to give him to you when you ask. Amen? So let's just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, just say it after me. Heavenly Father, everybody say it, if full of the Holy Ghost or not. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you. For the mighty Holy Ghost and his gifts and his attributes and his powers. You said I could have him dwelling in me by asking. So I'm asking today that you fill me with the mighty Holy Ghost with the evidence, I'm sorry, the utterance 
of speaking in other tongues. I want to experience this. I desire spiritual gifts. I desire anything that comes from you. And I know you won't give me something evil, but you'll give me exactly what I ask for. So I thank you. I praise you. I give you glory. And I receive the gift right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Now, whether you feel anything or felt anything, you've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. If you asked and you were uh, sincere about it and you asked from your heart, then you received the Holy Spirit, whether you feel it or not. And in the days coming from now, you're going to begin to feel his presence more than you have before, especially in your prayer time. Now, I'll give you a little hint. When you pray, and you're praying in your understanding, you haven't spoken in tongues, that you're praying in your understanding, and you never spoke in tongues, you will get an impression or an utterance. It's what they call an utterance. It's really an impression. And something will come up on the inside of you. A word will come to your mind. And you may not understand that word. But I'm asking you by faith to just speak it out. Just whatever it is. If it's goo goo gaga, and that's what comes to your mind, speak it out. And just keep on praying like this. Speak it out. And uh, you might think it sounds stupid, but your Heavenly Father loves it. I remember when my kids were little bitty fellas, just learning how to walk and learning how to talk. They didn't pronounce things correctly. They didn't speak English fluently. But when they did say something, and it was funny, I still loved it. Even though they mispronounced something or hacked it up, I still loved it. Uh, Mike used to say, shove you. I shove you. He was trying to say, I love you. But I didn't correct him. I didn't get upset with him. I liked it. And so when you say something that you think is stupid, just remember this. Your Heavenly Father likes it. He loves it, as a matter of fact. And I said, that's my boy there. He's, he's already talking. You can't understand him, but he's talking. And that's what God is doing for you. He's saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. They don't understand what they're saying, but I do. They're talking. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. We appreciate you. Don't let our guests leave here without hugging their neck. We hope you enjoyed it here today. Uh, hope you come back. If you don't have a home church, hope you come back. We got a lot more teaching to go. We just taught a pinhead today. Also, if you want to listen to the other nine messages on the Mighty Holy Ghost, they're on uh, YouTube under Faith Fellowship Church and uh, Spotify. Spotify is a podcast. They're on Spotify as well. We're not on Facebook anymore. Facebook didn't like us. So... <laughs> <laughs> we don't 
Yeah, we don't we don't do it anymore on Facebook. So, but you can't get them on on YouTube and uh, Spotify. Faith Fellowship Church. God bless you. We love you. I don't think your kids are done yet, so we we'll have to wait on them. Don't leave without them. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.